You're listening to episode 19 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up with personal brand and freedom stylist, Elizabeth Hartke. Each week, Elizabeth brings you the tools you need to create a life of true freedom and fulfillment by scaling and monetizing your personal brand. Get clarity, become a leader in your field and make an impact that pays. Grab your favorite healthy smoothie or beer and let's get to the show. Well, guys, I have an incredibly special treat for you today on Scaling Up. You guys get to hear from Anthony Trucks. Now, Anthony is someone who I've admired for years now, since the first time I saw him speak at Brendan Burchard's High Performance Academy. Anthony Trucks is a serial entrepreneur, but he has a superpower. Do you want to know what that is? He has been able to navigate so many of life's shifts in his life, good and bad, with this incredible grace and optimism. And I'm going to tell you more about my first interaction with Anthony and how it absolutely blew me away and will stay with me for the rest of my life. Out of this superpower, Anthony created Identity. It's a company focused on helping people find out who they really are and how to develop into who they are called to be and and really owning their identity. He used to own a gym. He's an international speaker. He's a former NFL athlete. He is on NBC's American Ninja Warrior. And most importantly, and this is obvious when you meet him and get to know him, he is a loving father and husband. But it all started when his mother chose to give him away when he was only three years old. He has overcome so much in his life, and there is incredible wisdom in this episode today. So make sure you have your notebook out, you have your tissues ready, and you have an open heart ready to learn from someone that I admire wholeheartedly. You're going to learn about business and growth and entrepreneurship. You're going to learn about owning your truth and your identity, and you are going to learn so much from Anthony Trucks. Let's tune into the show. Okay. So Anthony, I have to tell you what my first impression of you was. Okay. I was attending my first high performance academy a few years back, and I remember I was kind of in this point in my life where it was kind of like a tipping point. I had been holding on to a lot of narratives in my life of who I was based on past experiences, you know, past circumstances. And it was dictating who I felt like I was capable of becoming. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you know, HPA, the energy there, all of Brendan's events, like everyone's so pumped up and fired up. And it was like, I was feeling a lot of that, but I was also feeling kind of the doubt and stuff that creeps in when you're surrounded by so much of that. Yeah. And then you go taking the stage. Now, I, I didn't know who you were at the time. And it was like a light bulb moment for me. I see this guy get up on stage sharing, you know, your vulnerability of your story of pain and what you endured as a child, which, you know, we'll probably get into a little bit more today. But Anthony, you're literally like beaming as you're talking about this stuff that you have all of us in the audience in tears about what you went through going through the foster care system and the struggles that you faced. But you were sharing this story and you had the most shining smile I think I've ever seen on anyone in any circumstance, let alone when they're talking about something so difficult. And that was the moment that it smacked me in the face, like perspective, like Mm -hmm. he has a perspective that I don't have yet. And I want that. If he can get up there and share his heart and the most painful parts of his journey with like such a joy radiating from him, and it's because you own who you are, where you've been, and you know that you're like destined to become something more. And that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Awesome. Yeah. Up to that point, I didn't believe that I or anyone else could actually own the dark and challenging parts of our life. Mm-hmm. while still joyously working towards who we're called to be. So I have to yeah. thank you for that because it oh, was very so, welcome. so powerful for me. And awesome. Thank you for the feedback. It makes you feel good. <laughs> and <laughs> welcome to Scaling Up. I'm so, so pumped hey. to have you here. We're um, here. So let's take it back for a second. I've, I've heard bits of your story, very moving story, but for those who don't have the pleasure of knowing you yet, can you share a bit about where you came from and what life was like Back in the day. Yeah. 
Oh, of course. Um, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the uh, the Scaling Up Show. This is Anthony, your host. Just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I always look at stories and I'll, I'll share my story right now. But I think I've always looked at stories as it's like a, a story is not mine. Like it's my life, but it's your story. And so when I share it, I always uh, try to keep in mind who I'm sharing it for, right? And this is for people who are like, I'm sort of listening to this or like, I want something greater. And like those of you guys are listening, you want something more. That's the reason you're putting time in to listen to this is why you're spending part of your life is actual life to get better. And so I'll share with you what I believe is, is big parts of my life. So I started my first part of like my memories of life was being given away in a foster care at three years old. Uh, my biological mom, she uh, called the foster care system and gave me and three of my siblings away. Uh, you know, we'll never know really why. And it's just, we just know that we didn't matter enough to her to be kept. And it starts from that first moment of like my very initial memory of life is I did not matter. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't loved. And we all in life get to these moments. For me, it happened at three years old. For some people, it happens at 30. Uh, but that moment of time just always sets in me. And you wonder why I'm so joyous is because of these crazy, crappy things that happened as a kid. And so from three till six years old, I bounce around from home to home. And the foster care system, you have no idea when you're going to get picked up and moved around. You also have no idea where you're going, if they're going to be good people. And I was, I was beaten in some homes. I was starved in some homes. I was forced to try to chase and catch chickens and earn a meal for the night. I was put in shopping carts, pushed down hills. I was forced to lick the bottom of like multiple kids' shoes, like all these crazy things all before six. So at six years old, I'm like this really unhappy child and I'm just bad. And I remember going to what would end up being my final home, which is my family to this day. Uh, but the unique thing was I uh, was now in an all-white family. I'm a black guy in an all-white family. So I, I don't look like everybody else a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so there's this unique aspect of my life that like I, did, I just felt completely out of bounds everywhere. I didn't have a place. I, I, it wasn't my family. I looked funny to them. I got called you know, racial names at school because it was not a very diverse area. My own mom didn't love me. My, my dad was non-existent. I didn't know who he was. So that was pretty much the um, the anchor of my my base of where I would build my personality from. And for a lot of people, that creates a lot of negativity. For foster kids in my world, if you go to any prison in America, 75% of the inmates are former foster kids. So it's like not a good look for that aspect. Any homeless population is 51% former foster kids. So like statistically, I'm set up to do really poorly. And I remember this family, the difference was my mom loved me unconditionally, like super crazy, loved me past all the bad stuff I would do. And it was weird to me. And after a while, I kind of was like, yep, she's not going to get rid of me. She actually does love me. And I remember at 14 years old, after 11 years in the system, I was finally able to be adopted. And it for the first time was a place where I, I didn't have a fear of waking up uh, and not going back to sleep in the same place for 14 years of my life. And that was like the, the, the shifting of my entire world to what I do now. And from that moment, I got to do something cool at first, which was, you know, normal to everybody else. But for me, it was different. I got to hit people, not get in trouble. We call it football. I got to go run around, <laughs> tackle people. And, and it was a blast. That was, I mean, you get this moment in time where you can just like be free for the first time. It was cool as I had this moment of self-worth. And if you've ever had a moment in life where like it, it, you had that first breakthrough of holy crap, I matter. Like that is a really invigorating space. Like, oh my gosh, I love this. And in fact, I was like addicted to wanting that. I want people to want me and cheer for me and others, you know. And so that was my push. And it pushed me on to well, bypass a lot because I don't think we have to have a whole lot of stuff tied in. It pushed me to a place where at the same time, my adoptive mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so the focus was on her. And I had this really separate internal feeling of like, all right, now I'm, I'm just this kid with a sick mom, uh, slash foster kid, slash now athlete who sucks at football at first. You know, just slash, slash, slash. And I get this moment in time where I'm like pretty much giving up, which I was. I was pretty much giving up. And I remember I was sitting in this classroom and this girl was sitting next to me and she was talking to another girl. They didn't know I was listening. And she says to the other girl, two of them are talking together, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And it's like a super simple thing. And most people hear it and like, oh, no big deal. It's just, okay, some kids said something else. But I was like, in my head, that was the excuse I've heard in my head rattling around. And when you finally hear it outside your head, you're like, that is stupid. What kind of, like, is that going to be my excuse for the rest of my life because of something that took place when I was a child? And at 15, I had this shift of like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be a bad human. I don't want to be a criminal. I don't want to be a bad husband, a bad dad. So I was like, how am I going to get out of this hole? And I did this thing that very few people do, which is I sold out and gave every part of my effort into something before I knew it would be successful. And when you're, you know, a 15 year old boy in high school, it's two things. One, it's, it's getting girls phone numbers. Cause Hey, you're, you know, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the other side of it is sports. I was like, I don't want to, I want to do this thing that I love. I quit because I sucked at it. I'm going to put work in and see if I can get better. And I did. 
And, you know, fast forward two years, I was able to get a three years, got a college football scholarship to play the University of Oregon. So I got a chance to go play football for free at a Division I school. I saw I'm, I'm a duck, go Ducks. Uh, four years later, well, actually a year later, I had my son and I was like 19, just turned 20. My high school sweetheart, we were engaged, eventually got married later on, played in the NFL, came home, opened a gym. And then life fell apart. I don't know how far I was going to go before we stopped me. I keep going forever. <laughs> You're on a roll. I don't even want to interrupt. Well, let's just keep on talking because I'll just lay it all out there. And then you can feel free to poke okay. and prod whatever questions you want. So I come home from the NFL. At this time, I'd had a lot of craziness happen. I've had my son and then I opened this gym. Because the hard part is when you leave this thing you've known for so long, like football, and I've given all my life, 12 years of it for the most part to it, and it's ripped from you. Like, who are you now? So talk about that because wh- how was it ripped from you? What happened? Oh, well, I, I had an injury. I tore my left shoulder playing with the Pittsburgh Bears against the Philadelphia Eagles. A uh, guy jumped on my back, tore my shoulder. It ended up ending my season that year and then ended up ending my career overall. And I remember I'd come home and open this gym and I was kind of doing the gym, but I had a half foot in the gym, half foot in. I want to go back and play in the NFL. And I'd done some workouts and eventually I had this team offer me a, a contract, Buffalo Bills. And I get a chance to go out there for a workout. Listen to this. They fly me out there for a workout and I fly out and I get there and there's no one in, there's no one at the facility. There's no one answering calls. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, sorry. We flew you out a week too early. I had to fly home. I had to, it's so long to get from California (laughs) to Buffalo. You know, as a whole day of travel, I was livid. So fly back the next week, did the uh, workout. They liked me, sent me home. Uh, and then my agent calls like, Hey, the bills want to sign you, but. When they sign you, they want to put a waiver on your shoulder, the injury I'd had. And he's like, so this is the situation you got to realize. If you sign and you do that, if you get hurt, no one's covering it. The NFL's not, team's not. You will have to pay for that out of pocket. And surgeries can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you have no health insurance to cover that. It's not like a copay, like you're signing off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, okay. So he's like, just keep in mind, if you decline this contract, almost every contract from here out is going to be the exact same. So you have a choice. Are you going to put your family and your health on the line? Or are you going to move on and hang this jersey up? And it was like a weighted moment of like, this is the end of that entire chapter. I remember I was sitting in this gym I'd had in the back room that was like a half daycare. And I remember I said, I, I think of Drew. I said, Drew, I'm done. And I remember I hung the phone up and I just cried because it was like that, that, that feeling of like you're now mourning something. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is the death of that part of Anthony, that, that part of Anthony who could go out and say, this is who I am. And I'd anchored all my effort into this. It's like building this amazing, you know, sandcastle. And someone just came and kicked the whole thing over. And it was me, right? And that's how I felt. It was all release of like this, this part of me. And, and a lot of people get there, whether it's, you know, someone passed away or I lose a relationship or um, I'm in a business and a business fails. No matter what it is, anything you've invested your time into only to have it taken away or it fall apart. That's the feeling I had. Uh, you don't lose that thing. You lose you. And man, it was just a complete, just a, a painful experience. And I now had to find a way to re, rebuild myself somewhere else. That's what it was. I had to like find out how do I create something that gives me a sense of self-worth again. And I, I did it in a gym. I had this, you know, this degree in kinesiology, had a passion to help other athletes in the way I got out of kind of my area. So I came back, started doing that. In doing so, what it ended up doing for me was creating this, this like pull from my family, pull from my wife, pull from what mattered. And it would create this complete neglectful space outside of this thing I was trying to build for myself again. And it, it put a massive weight on my marriage, drove a wedge in it. I wasn't a good father. I didn't take care of my health and everything on the outside of football that I had was also now falling apart. And I didn't share it at the event and I shared it in the past. But what ended up happening was my wife, like we, we started having these separate worlds and she ended up. I say we took ourselves together to a position where she felt she had to make a choice to to be happy for herself. Sadly, it took her to a choice that she had an affair with another man. And it just, for me, having grown up in foster care, I didn't have my family unit. This was my family unit. My, my wife and my three kids at this time. I have a 14-year-old now, twins that are nine. So this time we had all three. Uh, and on top of that, I had this aspect where it's like, I have a connection to a woman and when I have next to my wife, like it's such a deep connection because I didn't have it with my mom. It's, it's something I'm aware of. Like it doesn't hinder my ability. Like I don't you know, like call her, hey, mommy. Like I don't do weird stuff, right? But <laughs> I wouldn't judge this, you if you did. Yeah, I would. I'd judge me. <laughs> <laughs> like walk around a grown man diaper. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but that was my, like I had this unique connection. And I was like, man, this was gone. And so every part of what made me me was completely gone. And it was this physical 
overwhelming pain. And I'd shared this recently. I actually hadn't shared on stage prior to this, this last presentation, we'll call it. But I literally drove off one day. I just was in a fog for so long and I hadn't really accepted it. And the moment that I, I did, my best friend, he made a statement and it just hit me. He says, Anthony, this is your reality. And it all of a sudden just slammed in my chest. And I just had this like really deep sense of physical, I felt physical pain and I wanted to stop. I couldn't get it to stop. And I figured if I can't get the pain to stop, I got to find a way on my own. And I drove off one night. I said, please tell my children who their father was because I wasn't going to be around. I was out looking for rat poison. It was thankfully too late at night for any stores to be open. So I parked my car about an hour from my house in a town called Stockton. And my family had, you know, searched my GPS, sent the police to where I was at. Like they, they were able to kind of like, you know, I won't say talk me off a ledge, so to speak, but they just, you know, calmly say, go home. And it was like the rebirth of, not a, not because birth's ugly. Think about it, birth is ugly at first. I, you know, you had a kid eight weeks ago, eight weeks ago. So it's like, it's kind of this weird process, right? You think it's like, oh, beautiful, but it's not. And so for me in the beginning, it was ugly trying to figure out who I was, where I fit and rebuild all of me. I ended up getting divorced. I mean, there's points in time when I had this 10,000 square foot gym and I was living in a 500 square foot studio with my kids on an air mattress, like trying to go through the whole divorce process and just, I mean, ugly times. And if you fast forward past a whole bunch of craziness, weird things, I don't think it even needs to be shared here just yet. <laughs> That's uh, up, but that'll be uh, part two. We'll do that part two because there's some craziness within there. And then I eventually, uh, I got to a space where I settled myself. I think when we're unsettled inside, you don't have uh, real good control in life and everything mm-hmm. will keep spinning up. It's like being in a tornado. You're like, a tornado within the eye of it, it feels calm, but everything inside you is spinning up and you're tearing things up. But from a distance, you can see the tornado just ruining things. And when you can step out of the tornado and it dies down, you realize like, holy crap, this was like a weird dark space. And I came out of the dark space. I settled my soul. I started focusing on being a better father, a better person. I could be in a relationship later on. Uh, and then I started sharing and teaching people like small business stuff. Because along the same journey, I, I was oddly able to navigate entrepreneurship really well. I got a contract for a quarter million dollars. That was like 90% profit. I'd had this gym. It was amazing. I was speaking and traveling. I was doing really, really well in the space of what I was working on. and it started pushing me to want to excel in all aspects of my life and be excellent. And so three years ago now, almost almost three years ago, something happened with my my ex-wife. She got out of a relationship she was in. I got out of a relationship I was in. We we're both single. She was a different person. Like she became this amazing woman and she found faith. Not in a forcible way, but she found faith and it anchored her to a different space. And then for the first time, we could have a conversation without blame being placed. We got past the craziness of what took place. I owned my position of what took place in our whole process. And it started this weird journey of, of healing, I guess, for us individually, which allowed us to be better together in a relationship. And we are now back together three years later, creepy, amazing, good relationship. I love her to death. I got these three cool, cool, weird, super odd kids that I love to death. Like my life is, it's, uh, it's odd that it's so joyous. And it's not because of the money. It's not because of the, the any notoriety. Literally, None of it matters to me. I, I like hanging out with my sweatpants in my house and my children watching TV shows. Like my excited part for the day, my son and I are going to watch this, um, this show that came out. It's called like Robot Something. I um, love robots and something on Netflix. Like I can't wait to watch it when I get done with all my day. Like that's what I'm looking forward to. It's not the podcast. I just talked to a guy that I'm going to go on his podcast. It's an amazing big podcast and a million followers. Like that's not the most exciting thing to me. It's the kids and the family. And so all that was crafted because of the crap I went through. And I guess the best part of my takeaways are the only way I got through it for me and my perspective, and anyway, we all do, is we, we have to realize that life is going to shift on us quick without us knowing it, uh, good and bad. And when the shifts take place, if you try to hold on to the old person you were th- that's not prepared or suited to handle this next shift, you're always going to have this disconnect and fail. And it's not until I, I realized I had to shift from being a boy to a man when I had my son or shift from being an athlete to an entrepreneur or from a bad husband to a good husband or, you know, it's all these different levels. Uh, and you have to understand, like for me, I have to understand how I got to do them without reluctance, mm-hmm. without fighting the curve, like embracing it. I boil it all down to God has in my life an amazing plan. I believe everybody else too. There's an amazing plan that's already set and we mess it up. We mess it up by procrastinating, by fear, by excuses, by avoidance. We mess it up. And when I open the doors, now I can say I've, I've written books and I've traveled across the world and spoke and I've played in the NFL. I've, I've been an American Ninja Warrior, which that should have never happened. I'm way too big for the show. I get to talk to cool people like you. I get to go speak at my kid's school. I get to go and travel and talk to this 
massive organizations of thousands of people, like way weird things that never should happen for this foster kid who grew up in the middle of, you know, some podunk town in Antioch. And it's, it's, that's, I believe, not as an example of, of what you can do, but also I try now wholeheartedly, I don't try, I do. I teach people how to make these shifts so they themselves can get to that level. It's not just talk for me. It's like, I'm actually going to teach you. And that's the best part of my life, teaching not only my kids, my family by example, but also people that need help. Yeah, that's your, that's the legacy you're creating. And yeah. the, the way that you do it through story is so powerful too, because all of what you just shared, like there's so many different shifts that you've gone through. I want to talk about your identity shift in the three phases. But first, I want to ask you, when you were in that place in your life where you were just you were your identity was caught up in I'm a foster kid, like nobody loves me and going through that struggle. Yeah. Was there a moment or was it a long process? Because then you had your your adoptive mom come into your life and just unconditionally love you for a long period of time. Did that change your identity or were there still moments in your life after you had that realization like when you would go through another struggle like the nfl situation or your divorce or different things where you'd kind of revert back to that mentality you had before you felt unconditionally loved yeah that's that's natural i mean you you go back to what you know if -hmm. we don't actively think about stuff i think we passively fall back to what we know my Brothers in the military, he says in training, when, when, when things get heightened and everything goes crazy, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your training. And it, right. it's pretty much like you fall to what you've, you've conditioned yourself to do. You don't rise to some new occasion typically. So yeah, 100%. That's why when I talk about shift, it's not identity change. Because change means everything changes. Whereas a shift can be a one degree shift. And if you think about like traveling a long distance, one degree from say Oakland to Florida, take you 40 miles away if it's just one degree off the direction you're supposed to go. So for me, it's like, what's that one degree I got I to gotta shift sometimes in how I see myself or how I see somebody else, my perspectives, like you'd mentioned. If those things can shift slightly, that's when you can actually make great progress. Yeah. And I think I see that so much in the people that I work with and mentor where they're waiting and thinking that they're going, like they're working towards something, they're doing personal development, they're going to these seminars, they're reading the books, and they're almost like waiting for themselves to change. They're like, oh, okay, like when yeah. I become X, I can start doing this instead yeah. of understanding mm-hmm. that you, you just keep moving and you keep evolving. And there are moments where you don't ever completely rise above what you went through in your life, like where you never think of it again, never, it never creeps back up on you. You work through it, you yeah. learn how to cope through it. Yep. And people waste so much time and totally turn their backs on that beautiful purpose that God has gifted them with. And it is a gift. And never ultimately get to live that out because they're just waiting. Um, they're waiting. It's, it's the, the have, be, do, or be, do, have process. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think I have to have this thing. And if I have this thing, then I can do this thing. And then if I do this thing, then I'll be that thing. Right. If I, ha- if I have the money, then I can start doing more free things. Then I'll be that, that person. When it's, it's completely reverse. Like you first have to be that person internally to take the actions to have that thing. Like, it's the only way to go through it. It starts internally. The problem is most people, like you said, they're waiting for that to take place. They're not realizing that you have every single moment every day, the complete power to be somebody different. And I don't just mean be somebody in terms of like, I changed my clothes. Like internally have a complete separate belief of who you are. And, and when you realize that the only separation from having a genuine belief, like you at this point believe like I'm a podcaster. That's what I do. That you, you are that you've become that, Right. And it didn't happen because you woke up one day. It's like, oh, beat my chest. I'm a podcaster, right? You're like, uh, I'm going to go buy a, a microphone. I don't know what this software is. I don't know who's going to edit this. I, you know, there's like this this weird, I'm assuming this. I don't know if I'm correcting mm-hmm. this. No, you're a spot on. <laughs> right? It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the more time you put it, now it's like, okay, I've, I've recorded a few podcasts. I've edited them. I got my edit. Like, so people can come to you and say, hey, Elizabeth, how do we do this? You're like, oh, I got you because I'm inv- you've invested in this. And so to become that person, it's simply a matter of investment past the point of pain or point of feeling like a fraud, but realizing that is the natural journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I am really excited to unpack this whole identity shift and, yeah. and those three phases phases that you talk about of see, sacrifice, and sustain. And yeah. I think it's brilliant, but I want to hear it from, from your perspective because I think it's going to speak so poignantly to our audience. Yeah. So uh, are you ready to go? Are we ready um, to go time? Um, 
Born oh, ready, Anthony. Born ready. That's a song somewhere, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's, I guess there's three types. There's three sets of what I use for identity shift, right? So there's C, sacrifice, and stay. I'm going to break it down now. There's also the three steps of going from a place um, internally of owning your shift and then taking shift seriously and making shift happen, right? Love so it. So C, sacrifice, and stay is this. In the order of how we do things, most people, they, uh, they're waiting to change something. Like they, but, but the problem is they have no idea what to work on. They're walking around in a dark room um, with no lights, and they're hoping that all of a sudden they can run into this thing they're supposed to fix. Think about it like I'm running through life. Nothing's working. I can't figure it out. What am I going to do? And we get this feeling of like I'm helpless. No matter what I try, it's not going to work. I, I, I do all this stuff, and it's just not for me. And we make these dumb excuses so we can sleep better at night, not having to face the music. And the reality is that the first step is you have to see what's going on clearly which means you actually have to, to see some things about yourself you might not want to see or you might not enjoy. And that typically is like self-awareness. Most people lack it vastly. They don't realize what the true setback is inside of them. They don't understand that the way they see the world or the way they say things or whatever it is, it's, it's completely hindering them. Like when you feel like a victim all the time. I, I think the, the book Mark Manson has, A Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, mm-hmm. great way of saying it. He says, most people don't grasp the, the level of fault and responsibility. It's like if something bad happens to you, it's not your fault, but you are responsible for fixing it. Yes. Like you may, not, you may not like that, but it's your responsibility to fix it because it happened. Now fix it. If not, it's just going to stay there, right? So that really is the aspect of C. It's like say, hey, maybe you have to ask some people. I have this exercise I tell people to do. I say, first, go ask three people about yourself or how they view you. First person is someone you know and love that cares about you. And like their ambassador, super love you. Cool. Second person is a person that at the end of the day, you've had some good conversations with. You don't know if they like or dislike you, but you know that it's been somewhat genuine and you want to have their unbiased perspective of you. Third person is what people hate. Ask somebody that you know doesn't like you very much what they think of you and then zip your lip and let them talk. And humbling. it's very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to sit there and like, you'll hear if you are unbiased, you don't ch- chime in without trying to defend yourself, listen to what they have to say. Now, it may, it may be something you like, maybe something you don't like, maybe something you agree with, don't agree with, but you're at least going to see. And, and that's the moment of seeing like, wow, that's who I'm seen by some people in the world. Now you have a choice. Does it matter? Do I, do I want to be seen that way? Do I want to change? Because maybe this person doesn't like you, but they have an, a different perspective of what you should be doing, but you don't agree. Cool. Then you toss it out. But at least you have a perspective that you never had before. And then now that I see things, that's the only way I can go in a new direction. It's like seeing is also like the map. It's like, okay, cool. I got to see where I'm at, where I want to go. What's the GPS in the middle? Without that, people, they start these arbitrary, you know, like goals. Like, I want to write a book. All right, cool. Well, how are you going to do that? I legitimately know somebody right now writing a book and he's posting pictures of him writing in, an, in like a, a journal. Like, you got to get on your computer. You know that, right? Because <laughs> Oh, my God. That's amazing. Right. And it's like, you can't just start this process without an end destination or know what the map looks like in between. I'm like, so the things are like, you have to have this map from where you are, want to be so you can see it. And then comes the next step, which was sacrificing. Right. So most people, if they don't have this plan in place, they can't go the next stage anyways. But when they come to the stage of now sacrificing, that's the really difficult piece because now you're saying, I'm going to own this thing and I'm actually going to put something into it. And sacrifice has a, a duality to it. Right. So sacrifice we can sacrifice things that, that we don't want to. And people do this all the time. I sacrifice relationships. I did. Sacrifice time. I did. Sacrifice my health. I did. And we think that's the journey to the end destination. But the problem is if, you're, if your journey is, is comprised of all these things you hate doing, you're going to show up at the destination sad, hungry, and unhappy. I don't care how great that mountaintop is. If you show up with a shoe missing and you're, you're all torn up, you don't feel good because you're there. Like, so you got to find a way to love this process. And so that aspect of sacrificing, the way we do is we don't sacrifice the things that matter. If your family matters, don't sacrifice them along the way. It's going to suck. What you do sacrifice are the ego, the thing that tells you that you're perfect and you're amazing. Get rid of it. It doesn't help you. It typically doesn't in certain aspects from the aspect of protecting that, that crappy part of you. Get rid of it. The comfort zone. People never sacrifice to step out of that zone of comfort. And the reality is that's the only space this new life you want exists. Because if it was in your comfort zone, you would already have it. So right. you got to do something different, man. Talk to different people, do different actions, sacrifice your time that it's wasted time. So I hate when people are like, um, I come home from the weekend, I hate my job, I want to get it, I want to open a new business and whatever. And they, they, they want to do something different, hate their job. But Saturday and Sunday, 
they're drinking, they're out with their boys, their girls, they're partying, they're watching a bunch of sports all day. And then Monday comes, oh, I hate Monday. You just wasted 48 hours of what you could have been doing. Let's say 24 solid working hours of what you could have been doing to, to get out of that place. So, so what, what revel or what right do you have to, to complain right now? I don't want to hear it, right? And so you're not sacrificing the waste of time. You're Netflix and, and binging and all this stuff. So for me, you have to sacrifice in spaces that are super uncomfortable. And then what happens is you get to that third step. Once I've seen where I want to go and I actually sacrifice to get there, here's a problem that a lot of people run into is they get it and it's short-lived. I got the success. I'm here. Yay. And then all of a sudden, three months later, it's like, how am I broke again? What did I do wrong, right? They don't sustain the, the not only the, the place they're at, but progression forwards. And so for me, sustaining is, is looking and saying, okay, cool. I can work myself into success. Someone can grind and kill themselves to get success. But there's no person that can sustain a crazy level of effort and sacrifice the wrong things forever. The only way you can is if you sustain what fills you up and you sustain the level of effort and passion you give towards the thing you have to keep it in place and scale it and grow it. Perfect. You scale, right? So for me, I look at whenever I get to that level, what are the things that I, I can maintain myself and do? And what are the things I need help with? And help is not just professionally. It's, it's help in your life, right? So when my marriage, the level my marriage is at now, I don't, I don't sit back and say, my marriage is great. I'm cool. Chilling for the next 40 years, right? I need help. I need someone to, to teach me. Like, what am I missing? What can I do more? How can I make this better? Like, what do I got to do to sustain the growth towards amazing relationships someday? Or in my health or my parenting, right? There's always these levels of me seeking outside help to sustain the traction that I need to go forwards. At the same time, it's also, how do I sustain myself internally so I'm given self-care so I'm not pouring from an empty cup? Yeah. So like if I was if I had nothing in me and I showed up on this podcast with you right now, I'd be like, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hey. And just waiting to get off. But I love this. Like I'm I'm full. I'm I'm my love a bucket, we don't call it full. I'm good. So I can pour as much as I want out and it won't affect anything. Right. So that's because I take care of myself uh, and I know what things there are things in my life that I take care of that take care of me, like my wife, like my kids, like my my career, my friends, right? Take care of them, it takes care of me. So it's a good back and forth. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, this is all making me think of something that you said at HPA. I think it was the most recent one that I attended when I was pregnant and you made me do a workout. While, like, <laughs> I was like seven months pregnant at HPA yeah. and wanting to kill you during that workout session. But anyway, I digress. You said something along the lines of there's a chance that we have lived more already than we will Ooh, yeah. after. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, like we, we might be ultimately live less time than we already have. Yeah. And that was such a donkey kick in the gut for me because we don't think that way. You know, like we think that we're, we don't, we don't remember that we're on borrowed time here. Yeah. And you talked about how often we'll kind of play into that victim mentality of like, I've tried everything. Like I wanted to do this. I wanted to build that business, but I've tried everything. It's not working for me. Like we're special that like magically it works for other people, but it's not going to work for us. Yeah. And then you kind of came back with that concept of like, no, you've, you've tried everything that you know how to try and you've tried everything that you're comfortable trying. And that mm. was such a revelation for me, especially in how I live and how I want to live, but also in how I mentor my people mm-hmm. and like this whole concept of the identity shift and owning that and moving forward and not saying we've tried everything and yeah. realizing that we have now to do this stuff. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else is guaranteed. So thank you for that. <laughs> Very welcome. Yeah, I was, I was asking my mom had passed because my mom passed when she was uh, 47. Wow, and I remember so having young. this thought of so young. And at the time, I might have been maybe 31, 32. Man, that, that seems fast. Like, if you think about fast life, I feel like it goes just, it's like clicking by. Mm-hmm. And I still, it's like, I'm a father of a, a freaking high school, high schooler, freshman. I'm like, this is ridiculous fast right now. And it's like, I could be here for less time than I've already been here. Mm-hmm. And, and if I really want to do something, I, I, there's no time I have to waste. I have to get going now. I don't want to not experience and enjoy every, every rose along the path and smell it, but I don't want to sit there and chill and wait and be like, oh man, I could have reached that mountaintop if I'd have gotten faster. The most heartbreaking thing to me, and it, like sometimes I get mad about it and sometimes I just get sad about it when I think about the people who have, I mean, we all have potential. Potential is nothing if you don't do anything with it, but who have a purpose and they're just too scared to get out of the starting gate. And 
you die the way you live. If you don't do something with it, that'll be the legacy you leave behind. And it breaks my heart, especially the people who you see, they really have a gift, but that fear totally owns them. Tough. Yeah, it's really tough because it's a, a statement I, I live by, and it's it's not easy to live by, but it's you can never want more for someone than they want for themselves. Yeah, and in me living in that space, it holding that space, my wife holding that space, my kids, it's difficult. I know what I want them to want to do, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. And so sometimes with those situations, it is difficult. It's hard to see what the world is missing out on. All you can do is sit back and encourage them to take a leap because if it's their idea to do it, I, if I can help them move the blockages out of the way, they'll go. Some people need a little more nudging. Some cows need, you know, just open the gate and some have to be pushed through it, right? But at the end of the day, it's like some people, their job sometimes is, I think, in those situations to show me that I can't be like them and it drives me more. Mm-hmm. So maybe that, that maybe their purpose is to have the potential not do anything with it so that I have something that I can push out. Who knows? Wow, maybe that's an interesting perspective. Knows. That's I've never thought about it from that angle. Like you said, God has, God's got the plans. So. He does. We just got to stop messing it up. Yeah, I know. Right. Get out of the way. So you, you have three kids and a lovely wife. And I want to hear kind of how you manage the world of fatherhood, being a husband, being present and being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, because yeah. I'm such a proponent of success being defined as not just by how much money you make or how many followers you have or any of that nonsense, yeah. but like your quality of life and your relationships in that life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have this thing right here and this is how I do it all. Literally I made my own calendar planner thing that fits for my life and it's called a prop. It's a, it's a progress planner. Like you know, I need to make progress, right? It props up my life. Get it? Props yeah. up. Oh, Love right. it. So, <laughs> so here's what I do. I, uh, I have an order of how I enter things into my life and I don't put things on my plate that I can't consume right now. Like, for example, some people have way too much on the plate and their, their, their eyes are literally bigger than their stomach. There's an actual metaphor if you think about it. And so my thought is, well, as opposed to keeping that stuff in a plate, why don't I just take some things off, put them back in the pot and they can simmer? And then when I'm ready to eat them, I'll put them on the plate and go. And so for me, it's not really about anything. Like people ask, how do you get balance and how do you operate? I got one speed, one speed. And the only way that I can look at maybe balanced fitting in is if if I realize that the only way I'm going to get the progress done or get the progress made that I want is if I take the things off my plate that slow me down. So my wife and my kids are on my plate. That's part of what I, I can go one speed there. The podcast I'm launching, it's on my plate. I can go there. Like I can get these things moving. But the second something comes in uh, that doesn't belong, like some sometimes people want me to go speak somewhere. And I'm like, dude, I'd love to, but I don't have time to prepare for that. That'll slow me down and I can't fit it in now. So I'm going to put you back in the pot. Hit me back up in three months kind of thing. And so... For me, what I do is I, I look at, I got to show up and be excellent, not just in one area, but I got to show up at excellence in all areas because I'm going to operate at one speed. It also helps me keep in mind that that I don't want to let this guy down by showing up in one place half-heartedly, another place full-heartedly. And if I feel like that's going on in my life, I feel incongruent. I feel like I'm not doing very well. And so I cut that thing out and it allows me to continue to show up and and not let any of the past effort be in vain. Mm-hmm. And so when you're asking like, how do I do it? Like success for me, just like you said, it's not a monetary thing. Money, I'm not going to lie and be like, I don't need money. We all need it to survive. Like, you know, it's just the nature of the world we live in, but I'm not driven by it. Like it, it I have enough and I live well enough below my means to where I find true joy in being a simplistic guy who has regular dr- desires and dreams, but a very irregular desire to help people. Right. And so with my, my shifting of how I do work, when I dive into work, I give my work the same effort I give my workouts that I give my date night with my wife like that I give my time with my kids, like it's the same effort you'll see across all aspects. And then whenever I look back on my day or on my life as a whole, I'll realize that I didn't conform. I didn't uh, adjust. I didn't have to placate anybody. Like this is just the speed I lived at. And, and, and that's just what I do. And it shows up in better places. If something can fit, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't belong on my plate. Yeah. It's funny that we're talking about this because last week's episode on the podcast is all about honoring the right yes for you. and knowing the value and the power of saying no to the things oh, that yeah. just don't serve you or don't fit your priorities. Yeah. So because I'm a huge fan of the show, yeah. you got to give me just like a little fangirl glimpse into American Ninja Warrior. Like that's pretty badass. How it's did that happen? Dope. My yeah. wife signed me up. She, no she, I, I swear to you, she signed me up. Didn't tell me she said she was actually going to do it and not even tell me until like, if they called me to get casting on. So she signed like 80% of stuff up. It's like, Hey, there's this thing I've been filling out 
and I, I needed to do a video. And I thought it was Wipeout, like the show, like they throw stuff at you and you yeah. throw water, and it's this Asian guy's making fun. You're like, ha 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 ha, right? <laughs> so, so I, I was like, all right. So I did the video and sent it off. I was 240 pounds. Granted, most of these guys were a buck fifty, a buck sixty. Like they'd be like, oh, the big guys here at 180. I still got 60 pounds on that guy. And uh, and so I filled it out and sent it over, and then they called me. They're like, hey, we like your story, we'll pop you on. I was like, oh, uh, okay, let me let me start working on that. So I had like 30 days to cut as much weight as I can and figure out how this whole thing worked. And first time on the on the obstacles, first time through, I, I hit a buzzer. First former NFL athlete to hit a buzzer and shows history. And uh, I just completed two weeks ago my third season. I'm still wearing the jacket right now. It wasn't I see a it. Yeah. They got a sticker over here too. Hey, but yeah, so I, uh, I'm an American Ninja Warrior, man. It's cool. Cause what happens is they don't, they don't really give you practice time. Like you just show up, they show you the obstacles and say, go, you fall off one time, you're done. Like it's that cut and dry. So you spend a lot of time, you know, at home training and apparatuses to try to figure out how they all work or apparati, whatever it is, <laughs> figure out how they work. And then, uh, you show up. And I mean, for me, it's a blast because I don't have a problem with the, the show and the crowds and the, and the, the noise because football I, i'd already done that uh and and then i oddly have a weird level of grip strength and body control so i can do it even though i'm huge compared to these dudes like legitimately i'm a monster compared to some of these guys it's fun it's actually not that difficult it's just it's difficult when some of the obstacles adjust based on my weight so like if i'm on something it'll bend and right. <laughs> things move out of the way because I'm, I'm still 225 230 right now and it's just i'm a bigger dude it's That's a blast though that's so crazy. Do you watch The Office or have you ever watched The Oh, Office? yeah. The whole, we watched the whole. My family's watched all of them, all my kids and everybody. Okay. So I like picture you at home with like a Dwight K. Schrute figure doing like parkour, like around <laughs> the house, the train. Oh, you have no idea. I hop on my counters. I, I wrestle the dog. I'm, <laughs> I'm seriously a big child. My wife is the one that looks at me like I'm crazy sometimes. Like, we'll still come in the house. We have like this weird nook in our living room that's like hidden. I'll like climb inside there and hide and I'll stay, I'll hold it for like 10 minutes when they're looking for me. That's commitment. It is commitment to the, I told you everything. I'd live at excellence, everything. And I sit there and I'll wait and I'll pop out last second. It was like a couple of weeks ago, she was in the kitchen and she walked out of the room for a second. So I rolled off our couch and I rolled under the, the, uh, the, the legs that come up <laughs> and she's walking around like, where'd you go? She's like, call me. Cause she couldn't see underneath it. I was just, Oh my God. So she's like, you were just, where'd you go? She's like, so find me. I was there like three seconds earlier and just gone. And I held it for like a good five minutes. So she was freaking out. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You, for the listeners prior to the recording starting, Anthony, when I was like getting my mic ready, like was making fart noises just to give you a, yeah, a yeah, full perspective you, on you who we're dealing with. Good fart noise. You can't go wrong with one of those. No, you can't. So I asked a poll on my Instagram and I got a bunch of responses. I wanted people, I wanted to know what people wanted to know from you. And the the two questions we can hit them real quick because I thought they were relevant. One was one you sent me that someone had asked about how can I become successful, a successful entrepreneur with no experience? So what quick hit would you say to that person? Yeah. So first thing is your, your current job, if you're not there yet, your current job needs to be an investor for your business. Uh, So don't quit your job. Don't go crazy. (laughs) Find some way that we talked about not wasting time to sacrifice that those hours of like six to 10, you know, in the middle of the night, dinner, or end of the night, when everybody else is watching TV, turn your brain back on and knock some stuff out. You're going to have to read books. You're going to have to get insight. You're going to have to join groups, actually show up like an entrepreneur, invest time. And then there'll be that moment in time where you're kind of scared, but then you have to at some point share something and ask for someone to pay you money for it. It could be a product, could be a service, whatever it is. And that'll be a journey. And then what happens is eventually you'll build that up and you'll make some revenue doing it. And you'll find that at a certain point, there'll be like this, um, this precipice, we'll call it this point of, of decision. And the decision is all this thing needs for me to really scale it up to make good money is for me to give it more time. The only place I have more time is the job that I have. So if I've done it right, I should have saved up money and then realize that all I got to do is now switch over, give this thing that's already making some money more time. And it'll surpass the income I have now and then some more past that. So if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, learn, get, get information and then start building something, take the risky choice in the background. But I think it's a safer place to do it. The only thing you stand to risk is your ego, right? It just, you're going to have somebody say your stuff sucks. You're just a receptionist over at the, oh, the local gym. So it doesn't matter, right? Do your thing that's investing in the ability for you to pull this backside business and one day switch it. And the time for the scale and you're golden. Yeah, totally agree with that. Another question we got was, 
how do you define or, you know, what's required to have a champion's mindset? And I think this question was coming from the perspective of someone who was curious about your experience in the NFL and kind of having to have that competitor's mindset. Yeah. yeah, The competitor's mindset is it takes a little more to be a champion, literally a little more. And and it's not that it's a little more in relation to other people. I think people are always saying, well, I got to compare myself to that person. I got to do a little bit more than them. It's not that little bit more. It's a little bit more past the internal, like a little voice that says, oh, but you've done so much. Don't you want to rest? It's time to take a break. That little voice. And and that little voice, you do a little bit more. And after a while, that little bit more becomes your normal. And then you do at a certain point, the voice comes back, you do a little bit more and just keep stretching yourself. Because people that are super successful, I always think like if I was to show them my schedule, would they laugh at me? If I showed them my schedule and said, oh, this is a tough day. Would they look at it and be like, what? <laughs> like, and so in my head, I'm like the P. Diddy's, the Russell Brunson's, Russell Branson's of the world, all these people, the Tony Robbins in our space, like Oprah's, would they look at my schedule and be like, oh, that's so difficult. You have to get up and do a workout, then you have to go and grocery shop. You know what I mean? Like, if they would look at my schedule in my head and laugh at me, then I'm not that level where I can complain right now. So the champion's mindset is I got to do a little bit more, and not a little bit more than them, but a little bit more than me today and normalize myself at that level of output. After a while, you give what's called effortless effort. You'll just be operating at that crazy high output level and it'll seem normal as it does now. I love almost everything you said today is like spot on and I love all of it, but that's got to be my favorite. Like that is so simple, but not easy. No, no, no. I didn't say it was easy. (laughs) It's actually, it's a lot of mental stretching to get that done. Yeah. Okay. So I have two questions to kind of close this out that I like to ask people. So who inspires you? Like who are the people that you kind of look to for that either guidance or inspiration or motivation or whatever Uh, it is? It sucks. I I guess this is one thing I'm jaded as a kid. I grew up never having this. I I didn't, I didn't trust adults. I never had this person above me that I really was like, that's my hero right now. I think I was robbed of certain aspects of not having that. Totally fine, but it's just what it is. One is my faith. It's simple as it is. Like I've always had this this version of like, how godly can I be? Because within God, I found a lot of peace for myself to navigate the pitfalls of this world. Crazy people, me being on a pedestal that I am in certain aspects, being the guy that I am, how I look, what I do, how happy I am. I get a lot of people who aren't happy inside and like to let me know through their harsh words, right? And so for me, I give them a lot of peace because I realize genuinely happy people who are truly having a great life, they don't do that. They don't say that. So I, um, I I try to be as godly as I can in giving that person grace and just forgiveness for for their words they're saying because I don't think it's coming from a place of true logic. It's just a bad place they're in. Yeah. So that's, I guess, aspirationally where I have that. The other part is future Anthony. The man who is, like I always have this quote that I've rattled in my brain a lot and I, I said years ago, but I said, the last person I want to meet in my deathbed is the person I could have been. Yeah. And so for me, I've always thought like, well, who could I be? Do I want to go back and like say, well, I could have done Ninja Warrior, but I just kind of was out there playing around, and didn't really do it, right? Or I might have been a decent speaker. Like I try to, when I show up to something, give it all I got because I want to look at the back of my life and and live this life where I'm like, holy crap, that really was me, and and just be an amazement of what I could create, not because I want someone else to share with me. If it's just me by myself, no one has to give me a pat on the back. I just want to know that when I'm sitting in those quiet moments and I'm thinking about the life I lived, that I lived a life like I really lived a life, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. So, so powerful. And we'll call him Fanthony, future Anthony. Fanthony. Boom. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last question for you. Uh, Cause a lot of our listeners always want to know you. Okay. Like where can I go to learn some of this stuff? So yeah. your, for growth, like what books, seminars, courses, speakers, podcasts, which ones are your regulars that really yeah. stick out to you? You know, I, I look at my journey because that's all, all I can really tap it to. I know other people do stuff, but some simple books gave me the catalyst to start opening my brain. One of the greatest books I read early on, it's easy one, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the, re- the reality for me was it didn't teach me anything more than how to reconfigure my brain to get a different perspective, like how to talk to people, how to operate, how I got to take ownership for a lot of my stuff. Like that really was a catalyst to understanding how I got to operate. And that allowed me to take all the information I already had in my life and see it through a different filter. And that changed everything about who Anthony was. Because I saw my relationship and the problems I had in the relationship that made it end way differently. Seek first, understand, then be understood. Like in my relationship, I use it all the time. Like every day when I'm talking to my wife and I don't understand 
what the hell she's saying because she says things in we- like women. You guys generally have a different communication, and it's totally cool. I get it. No, um, you just have selective hearing. Men. That's, what we, that's what we hear. That's what we hear all the time. It's a, seriously. I think it's odd that we just. It's all different conversation. But like for <laughs> me, it's like if I'm arguing with her, I know she's not going to listen to a word I say until she knows that I get what she's saying. So I'll step back and I'll, I'll be quiet and I'll listen. I'll say, cool. So let me grasp. This is what I'm hearing. And I'll say it back to her. Yes. Okay, cool. Totally get it. Here are my thoughts. So now she'll actually listen to me because she realizes that I've listened to her. Like that simple th- in business and with my kids, with my, my wife, little nugget right there has changed my entire life just by how I meet people. So that's a great book. I think that helps give you the kind of catalyst. Um, another great book is Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl and, and how you, like he was, internment camps and like he had this thing called logotherapy and his concepts that he tied to like meaning like the actual meaning of life and giving meaning to the moments that we experience and how we give meaning and we're meaning making machines you know everything that happens if you put a meaning behind it doesn't mean it's true it's just our meaning and then the problem is you operate out of that meaning when it could be completely different from what took place so like if i'm driving and somebody cuts me off oh it's a horrible person how dare they that's just an angry rude person or Maybe I had a red Russia's wife to the hospital because she's having a baby in the back seat, right? I, I don't know, but I put this meaning on it and I've driven myself to a different emotional state because of this meaning I play. So seeing how that works in my life, it gave me a chance to perspectively see my past with different meaning, which has created a whole different future because of it. Yep. So where can our homies find you? Nowhere. I'm hidden. I, I hide in caves. No, you hide under the footrests of your couch. Uh, exactly. If you come to my house, I'm, I'm touching the knucker. I'm under the footrest. Don't tell my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you go to Instagram, at Anthony Trucks on Instagram, super easy way to find me. Uh, I'm actually the one that mans that. Like I, I manage all the, the messages and comments. That's Anthony. Uh, you can also find me at anthonytrucks.com. So if you head over there, I have uh, some things that I give to people for free. It's a quiz I allow people to take called your income identity, figuring out what your income identity is and how it affects your actual money you make and your freedom in life. And yeah, those are probably the two best places to find me. Well, I'm grateful for you shining your light boldly because not enough people do it. And you've certainly had a profound impact on the way I think, my perspective, and that is priceless gift to me. And I'm so glad you came on the show. Our, our yeah, listeners yeah. are going to be so touched by everything that you said. So thank you so much. So very welcome. Thank you for having me. Genuinely, thank you for having me. I always have, I love the chance to get to talk to cool people and, and share this. Whatever someone grabs from this, I'm hoping they do something great with it. Awesome. Well, we'll have to have a part two someday, like we said. Part deux. Count me in. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing frommies, freebies for my homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you liked today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that they are living their purpose and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.